Welcome to Logistics with Purpose, presented by Vector Global Logistics in partnership with Supply Chain Now. We spotlight and celebrate organizations who are dedicated to creating a positive impact. Join us for this behind-the-scenes glimpse of the origin stories, change-making progress, and future plans of organizations who are actively making a difference. Our goal isn't just to entertain you, but to inspire you to go out and change the world. And now, here's today's episode of Logistics with Purpose. Good day and welcome back to another very exciting episode of Logistics with Purpose. It's been uh, a while since I had the privilege to host an episode with Maureen. Maureen, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Happy Monday. I'm doing great. Thank you so much. We have a very interesting organization joining us and we also have a very international panel as well. That's true. That's true. We have Sameli and Volodymyr and Antti, all from Procure for Peace, and we will let them talk a little bit more about themselves and what Procure for Peace is, but I don't want to jump ahead too quickly on that. (laughs) Well, a pleasure being here with you again. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for joining. Antti, Sameli, Volodymyr, thank you so much for what you guys do. Uh, As said before, we started recording. Uh, what you guys are doing inspire us. But uh, before we jump into your organization, if you could tell us a little bit more about yourselves, where, where did you gr- grow up? Uh, some of the things that you like to do when you were little and what country are you, by the way, because we're literally all over the world. So, uh, um, Antti, do you want to start us off? Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Um, yeah, Antti Suorsa, I've been, uh, I live in Finland, Helsinki, originally from, from Northern Finland. Uh, from from Rovaniemi town on Arctic Circle, um, and then maybe it's from there. But on, on free time, especially in winter time, I love to ski. So so if I can choose where I spend my free time, it's gonna be climbing up a mountain and and then skiing it skiing it down. That's uh, that's funny that you mentioned the climbing up first because uh, for us we take the lift usually. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I try why, to avoid the lift. There's too many people. Do you use skins, wow. Auntie, when you go up? Yeah. Yeah. yeah? Okay. What about, uh, is Finland like the only place you want to go skiing or what would be like your second most favorite place to go skiing? Japan is my most favorite place. Really? Yes. Wow. I've never, I've there's, never there's been. There's nice places in US as well. I've been in, in Colorado and Utah and, and Lake Tahoe. Yeah. I don't and, know if they compare to Finland though, I'll be honest, but. Well, Finland is quite flat. So, is but in the winter okay. I went to Norway, it's very near and they have some mountains there. So. Okay. Wow. Okay. Japan. I'm going to put that on my list right now. Thank you for, yeah. Thanks for joining Antti. And um, yeah, thanks for sharing that with us. Um, Sameli, do you want to go next? Yeah, thanks. And, and welcome to all, all listeners as well. Great, great to have the pleasure to be here. Thanks, Andrew and Morten for making, making that happen. So yeah, Sameli Sammakarp is, is, is my name. And as it happens, I was also born in the, in the Northern Finland. So I share a lot of, a lot of background with Antti. And actually for me, sort of, my first name is Sammeli, and it's actually not your traditional Finnish first name, but it's a very traditional name for people from Northern Finland who, who have a certain ac- occupation, and it's the reindeer farming. So my parents wanted me to become a reindeer farmer, but I have not fulfilled my parents' expectations, at least in, the, in that front. So in, instead, I became a software entrepreneur, being, being a co-founder and CEO of, of CIEVO, a procurement analytics software company for the past 20 years. This is sort of my, my occupation. If, if until last nature and skiing, I must say I, I took the other route. I, I do love cities and city life and so forth. I'm actually happy to take this call from Philadelphia. I'm based in Helsinki, Finland, but as, as we speak in Philadelphia. I definitely want to hear more about reindeer farming, but I think that's going to be a separate podcast. Um, my husband's been to Finland a bunch of times for work, and he brought me back some rain uh, a reindeer pelt once. As but um, that's a whole other industry that maybe we can talk about offline. Is it um, <laughs> is it super telling that the first thing that I thought when you said that was uh, frozen? I, I have a younger <laughs> a younger daughter. I'm like, wait, reindeer farmer? That's that's yeah. What yeah. was his name? Uh, I forgot. Anyways, yeah, no, actually, 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 kind of when it comes to this reindeer farming story, the the funny thing is that the, the reindeer farming is actually quite niche business. So as of as of next year, actually, Sierra's total revenue will exceed the total reindeer farming industry yeah, revenue in Finland. So at least from financial point of view, I've been doing better than my parents expected. <laughs> <laughs> and no. then, and also, also I'm vegetarian, so I, I don't think that, that matches well with the reindeer farming. So. Well, do you have any siblings they could pass the business on to? 
Yeah. Yeah. No, no, also, none of my siblings are in the, in the ring. <laughs> so, <laughs> bad luck. <laughs> well, no, and we'll get a little bit more into uh, how you guys grew up, uh, both of you in uh, Finland. Um, and uh, Volodymyr, go ahead. Last but not least. Wait, last but not least is what I want to say. Yeah, uh, thank you and great for hosting me here. It actually was uh, fun to get to know more about Auntie uh, and Sam, uh, Samily, about uh, wh- where you are from and what you're doing. I'm uh, Volodymyr Vorobey, based in Lviv, in Western Ukraine. Um, I grew up in Lithuania, actually, uh, and uh, worked in... Uh, what was that? Uh, four European countries, uh, but I'm based in Lviv and uh, kind of graduated from university here, Ukrainian myself, my parents are Ukrainian. It's just that we in Soviet times used to travel kind of when born in Lithuania. Uh, and uh, I'm an entrepreneur, and for 14 years I have been running economic development agency PPV Knowledge Networks based here in Lviv, where uh, business consultants, uh, SME program managers, so managed to uh, kind of grew to 12 people and run uh, various programs developing creative industries across Ukraine, small business uh, um, enterprises here in Western Ukraine primarily. So quite known in the area, at least in Ukraine. So we are not as big as family. We have not yet uh, uh, came uh, over the reindeer industry. <laughs> not that, even, that, yeah. <laughs> okay, the Ukrainian, Ukrainian reindeer farming industry. You okay, that one we definitely uh, accept. <laughs> Indeed, uh, indeed, because it's non-existent. But uh, 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 what else? I also share with Auntie uh, love for uh, skiing, but I do mountain skiing. So that's a regular activity. We have Carpathian Mountains here, just uh, like two, three hours drive from Lviv uh, to the south. Uh, That's where we have quite nice skiing areas. And that's what we used to do and we're doing uh, uh, when winter comes. Um, uh, That's great. No, we we have uh, we have again not only a very diverse panel, but it seems that we have skiers and entrepreneurs with us. I think that's the uh, common denominator here, and of course, people who want to change the world and uh, make a positive impact on society. So, um, one one uh, story or or one example while you guys were growing up that really kind of uh, shaped the way you are and kind of started pushing you in the direction that you chose. Um, if you guys could share some of that with us, maybe some hero that you had, your parents, some friends, some teacher, um, something that you re- remember from, from your childhood days. Auntie, you're up. I'm, I'm up first, yeah. <laughs> um, not not a little bit kind of in between, between kind of adulthood and, and childhood. When I was in high school, um, I was an exchange student in South Africa. So I uh, lived in, in Soweto for a year in a, in a black family. So if, 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 and then, you know, I was kind of the only white guy in the middle of, of 5 million black people living. So thinking about if some, some, something affected my, my worldview, it's, it's probably kind of that, that uh, after that, it's, I've been looking, looking world in a little bit different lenses than, than before. What was the thing that, uh, I mean, why, what shaped, what kind of changed, what, what was your realization that, that was so impactful? Uh, I, I think the biggest impact or, or the realization is, is kind of uh, that people should be happy uh, and the happiness doesn't come from the kind of material stuff that is around you. It, it comes from other people and, and how you see life. So uh, I think that's, that's one of the key, key learnings from there. If I can jump, actually, because uh, interesting, um, uh, I can relate to Soweto story because uh, I also been in Soweto, but a bit in not oh. when I was a youngster. I was leading a delegation of uh, student of ISEC. It's an international student organization for the World Summit on Sustainable Development, which was 2001, so a long time ago, 20 years ago. Uh, and um, uh, we were living, actually, I was a, a kind of a leader of international delegation there. Uh, we, uh, there were 40 of us, I think, from 25 countries. Uh, and I was like Ukrainian leading uh, international delegation whom I met virtually before. And then we were living in Soweto in the church. So, and I remember um, a local kids were in the bunker kind of beds because that's what you can afford as a student uh, organization. Uh, and uh, local kids were playing with my 
my uh, whatever the second and the only jacket that I had at the time. So it, I forgot once it outside, and I found that they managed to make it into the ball, and they, they were playing with. This is my jacket, and then to put it in perspective, that because I was representing international headquarters, I had to go to the um, Senton Center. I still remember the the which is the poshest. Uh, um, um, suburb of Joburg, you can imagine. So I was living the poorest, which uh, uh, taxis would refuse to drive me. And then I was you know, working, attending this whole uh, Hilton's, uh, uh, Marriott's, blah, 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 convention centers, events of the corporate world, where I had to wear this jacket. And then uh, that what hit me then. It was that, hey, Ukraine, we're such a communist country, like we don't have inequality, because that's when I got to know firsthand what inequality now i hear that soweto is kind of also up and coming um trendy district when i was there it was definitely not so uh, and then that's when i first saw this uh, you know these buildings these nice mansions and then i saw this uh, little plague saying transparses will be shot i was like what uh, like normally we used to go you know to pick like as a kid some um, apples you know you know these nasty small things you do as a kid uh, to steal neighbors uh, apples and then you see this in so uh, on the way that uh, people actually get shot for trying to transpass like i'm just uh, you mentioned anti soweto that's what coming for, uh, to me back in force that's that's when i got understanding that hey eastern europe is all the bizarre um kind of entourage and whatever we have here uh, is actually quite a decent place to live. And we have uh, um, literally no inequality in comparison with what is there in South Africa. Uh, sorry, maybe it was not there, like my childhood or whatever the question was, but it just... Uh, <laughs> no, came. great, great addition. And it's, uh, again, another thing that you both have in common. Um, so, uh, so yeah, this uh, discrepancy, right, between people that have... Uh, material things and people that don't and and auntie i had a question about your experience when you went to south africa did you get a list of countries that you could choose or rank or was that did you purposely choose south africa for any particular reason i actually chose south africa um and 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 the answer is long why but but i wanted to go an english-speaking country but i didn't want to go to u.s Okay. Um, and I didn't want to go to Europe. So so basically the options were then like New Zealand, Australia or South Africa. Did you have any idea what you were signed when you got there? Was it anything that I you probably had? had like super romantic view from, you know, yeah. Wilbur Smith books or, or right. something like that? So. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sameli, uh, anything from your childhood? The, the... No, no, no Soweto experience. Well, it could be any other experience. <laughs> you have also sure. been to Soweto. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I think sort of kind of going back, kind of what made made me who I am and perhaps also why I'm being kind of quite active in these kind of more purposeful movements. I think I think sort of it, it goes with back to kind of when I uh, soccer player. That was my dream. That one day I'll be the soccer player that sort of takes Finland to World Champions Finals or, or whatever. Never happened. I wasn't even close. And and I, I realized it was not only about you have a dream and put a lot of effort. I just didn't have what it takes from the talent point of view. And that has made me very humble later in my life with whatever success I've had as an entrepreneur. I do realize that, of course, it's effort and, and that sort of stuff. But it's also very much that I've been lucky in many senses when it comes to my talents not as a football player, but, but as an entrepreneur. And it, it also has made me realize, that, okay, if there's a way that I can give back to society, then I should be doing this because 99% of, of the success is not due to my own efforts. It's pure luck in the background. My talent, the, the family I grew up in, the society I grew up in and so forth. So that's that's been a great motivation for me to kind of try to give back to society as well. Very true. Samali, so, what position did you play? <laughs> Forwarder, and actually, out of that, in in, oh, in good CLS, striker, yeah, striker, yeah. In in CLS, everything is negotiable. Like, we can discuss about everything, but there's one exception. When when the Seattle soccer team is playing, and if I'm there, I'll be the striker. I'll be the <laughs> opening striker, and that's that's not up for debate. Great. Was there a particular incident that happened when you were playing soccer that you you had like an aha moment where you thought, okay, I'm not going to be at the World Cup, or was it just a series of 
it took a long time for me to realize that I'm not, I'm not really going to make it. I think at yeah. the age of 18, I was playing on the in Finland on the on the fourth fourth highest level, and you know, soccer Finland fourth highest level is not exactly close to close to world championship final level. And then you see the other sort of younger people and so forth who just kind of go past you, and then you sort of realize it's this is not going to work. Well, I'm still haven't given up, so. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I did notice that you did change the word for most of, like, let's say, the U.S. listening audience to say mm -hmm. soccer instead of football yeah. because yeah. Um, most of I would think in Finland it would be just habit for you to say to say football, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess yeah, we also have a lot of U.S.-based people working at Seattle, so I guess I'm leaning towards soccer because then there's no no room for misinterpretations. Yeah. Well, when you come to Atlanta, you and Erika could go out and have a, a rec recreational game in the in the courtyard of. Uh, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll invite you to one of my teams uh, Wednesday nights. You'll come play with us. <laughs> yeah. We need good strikers. Yeah, if you need a striker, I'm there. We I'm not need good, strikers, but, I, but, but, but I'm, I'm which I which means you just don't ever run back to defend. But I know what it means. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, this is. Um, I love this get to know you session and I think this is great. I think it breaks the ice a little for us to talk about some personal experiences before we delve into more of uh, why we all got on the call, which was to talk about kind of our professional experiences. And also you guys all, I don't think you all grew up. I mean, Auntie and Samali did not grow up in the same town in Finland and therefore get together in a business. And Volodymyr, you've had some very different experiences. So we're going to get to the point which brought all three of you together. But I think it would be great for our audience to know your background professionally that would help get to that discussion about where you guys all intersected. If you guys would share a little bit of that professional background that would help us understand that a little bit better yeah happy to um so i'm i'm a procurement person um i've been that since since uh university i studied uh supply supply management and and, and logistics and um and and been working in procurement scenes and i've been doing pretty much everything in procurement from from a buyer to a cpo and and everything in between worked in several international companies uh, I was working eight years at Nokia, and then lived two and a half years in US while while working there. Um, yeah, and and two years ago, or a little bit more than two years ago, found myself in a situation that I can actually, you know, a little bit better decide myself what to do. Uh, and then with an old Nokia colleague, we we got together and decided that we'll we'll start a sourcing consulting company in Finland. And uh, yeah, we've been working and growing that since since then and and we're kind of a small boutique consulting um we're now about 10 people seal sourcing is the name and uh, help companies with sourcing transformation digitalization change management and and all kind of interesting topics around procurement became uh, became super uh, relevant right supply chain and procurement in the last couple of years before yep. Yep. probably not everyone cared much about logistics or shipping now Hey, once you start, um, yeah. when New York Times paper. is writing about it, it's 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 relevant. So yeah, when you, yeah. <laughs> like we're the life of the party now. When when you go to, before, it'd be like you work in supply chain. Everyone just is like, yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, and then now like, oh, I work in supply chain. They're like, oh, and then it yeah. becomes an actual topic that somebody understands or wants to engage. It's it, there's been so many experiences that make it a topic that everybody can understand. Whereas before it was just one of those like, and about the weather this weekend or, <laughs> or something. Um, and you're right. I think, you know, the Los Angeles times has written a lot about it. The New York times has, when you see the port of Los Angeles on the cover of the major newspapers with cranes, you think, okay, this is changing the dynamic and the awareness of anyone that works in the supply chain and logistics industry. I think it makes yeah. it a little bit easier to understand for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for and having good consulting companies in this area, it's uh, very important. So I'm sure that uh, you guys are going to be set up for a very successful few years. So um, yeah, thanks for sharing. Samelli, do you want to tell us a little bit more about how you ended up? Uh, yeah, yeah, happy to. And I actually programming. My, yeah, I, I also changed my audio assets while I was speaking, and apparently successfully. So happy about that. Yeah, sort of. Um, 
instead of reindeer farming, I got interested in in, in computers <laughs> when I was sort of kid. So so and not only got playing games, but but as quite young, like ten years ago, uh, older. So I started to do my own games and programming and so forth. So in a way, I kind of learned to code and do software engineering as a hobby as a, as a young boy. When I went to university, I I went to more let's say business topic so i was majoring in strategy but also got a minor minor was was on computer sciences already during the university times i had my own so small software company doing let's say bespoke code for for large enterprises so that was sort of my first company mostly designed to let's say finance my studies um towards the end of my university studies i ended up in procurement con- or consulting ended up doing procurement related projects and that's sort of high how i got to know about procurement and supply chain and and, and spend analytics and procurement okay. analytics. I was not super still happy on with the, the software, still on the programming software, um, yeah, that, that was, numerical that, side of things. That, that, was, that was on consulting side. That was kind of really business consulting side. So I had this kind of software engineering background behind me. No formal education on that, more formal education on, on business strategy and stuff. Ended up doing kind of consulting, was not happy with the consulting career, and then sort of decided to combine those. And okay, the only thing myself and the other co founder knew anything about was kind of procurement consulting, procurement analytics. And then we had a bit of software background, and combining those two, you get CFO and procurement analytics. And that's 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 the journey we've been now um, in for 18 years. So we started as two guys startup. Our, Initial capital was eight thousand US dollars, so so really kind of bootstrap stuff, and then being growing gradually to the point where we are now uh, two hundred fifty employees, twenty five million revenue this year. Wow. Large enterprises serving companies like Deutsche Telekom, Levi's, uh, Johnson Johnson, uh, Carlsberg, and so forth on a global basis. Congratulations! That sounds yeah. uh, super exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. And as I said, 99% is luck. So I, but I do play it on percent of the, of the, my own. Uh, absolutely. 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 I mean, it requires hard work and never giving up as well, but yes, you're, you're right about that too. I have a, I have a question for you. Cause I'm not, I'm not sure how old you are. You don't have to tell me, but I know that when I was 10 and I'm in my forties, um, going and learning to code or develop something was not on my radar. I know that that does hit um, some people earlier than others, um, but definitely, how accessible was that? Was the ability to to actually go and learn that on your own? Like, I have a ten year old right now who's into some things on the computer, so I signed him up for some online coding classes to see. But that's like in twenty twenty two, where you can get some college students who want to build their own enterprise or doing it for free. He's excited because he can make a couple animated things, but yeah, I mean, you're older than like ten, so you know it wasn't excited. So tell me, how did you get into that? At, yeah, at that like how accessible yeah, was that? Yeah, I need to also disclose I, I I'm in my forties, so it wasn't okay. equally accessible accessible <laughs> back then. Eighties in 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 northern like Finland in small towns. Like computers were a lot bigger, you know. Yeah, but so so what happened actually? So I I guess I need to also thank my my bigger brother who sort of convinced my parents that we should get the Commodore 64 and, and we got and then then I think he sort of purchased this visual ba- uh, no kind of basic programming kind of guide or something like that and okay. that's how I got my first introduction to the world of coding but yeah it's 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 quite different working nowadays so sort of with with the online accessibility of the classes then at the same time I would argue that okay if you if you imagine yourself in in northern Finland a 2000 person town in November when the sun doesn't fly alternative activities are, are quite limited so I think that forced me to do something it was most interesting attraction available that's funny yeah the Commodore 64 that's basic you start, so you started with basic I'm guessing right and then yeah Pascal and from there yeah, on. I, I had basic, I had my Pascal years as well. And then moved to Delphi, which is sort of more visual programming stuff and so forth. But I haven't touched software code in, I don't know, 10, 15 okay. years. And I think it's for the benefit of the, of the company, for sure. <laughs> well, I did you well. I mean, you know. Yeah, for sure. It was a, definitely a, a good good upbringing and great experience. Um, Vladimir, uh, Vladimir, tell us a little bit more about you. How did you... Uh, became the successful person that you are now? Uh, 
well, I'm always humble in uh, kind of describing whether I'm successful or not, but, but at least, I mean, I'm a decent person. That's the most important. Uh, I was laughing because actually I also was uh, computing on Pascal, uh, Cubasic <laughs> and Turbo Pascal, but it was in still Soviet Union on Soviet computers with occasional, how you call it, sh- short uh, circuit uh, um, <laughs> receiving some <laughs> electrical um, kind of how you call it motivation let's put it that way but my software development if it could be called that way uh, or actual electrical engineering career was very short-lived you know so we moved to back to ukraine because we always uh, another uh, what maureen you asking more uh, earlier the um, experience that i got in as a teenager for me it was actually a formative experience was uh, 1991 when because i grew up in lithuania when soviet troops were were actually um, a storm in Lithuanian TV station when Lithuania were breaking uh, from Soviet Union. That's when um, I still vividly remember that because I was a kid of a Soviet officer, even though my father is a Ukrainian and we always wanted to be in Ukraine. But because of Soviet Union, you couldn't serve in the republic that you were from. Uh, so that's when you were acutely... Uh, um, my, how you call it, my nation, uh, national identification process was very acute because you suddenly realize that, no, I'm not Russian, I'm Ukrainian. So you start asking questions to your parents, what does it mean? Because we were at the time Russian speakers, so Russified Ukrainians. Now I'm back to the roots to my Ukrainian language, even though we're completely bilingual kind of country as a, as a way. But that's what uh, kind of uh, was the experience there. But then coming short of my biography, uh, I was um, I graduated from uh, um, economics, so finance and credit, uh, uh, worked in Germany, then uh, um, some logis- logistics, actually, in the logistics mm-hmm. in the financial department. Uh, still remember vividly the shock of my life when I came there and I understood that the only person who was speaking English was my boss, but he was hardly ever there. And then here I am in Ingolstadt in the completely Bavarian-speaking um, Ukrainian recent graduate so my german uh, picked up very rapidly <laughs> the kind of survival skills were very fast and so i uh, remember writing this kind of making financial quotes calculation for some B, uh, bmw uh, operations in england while explaining that in german you know and i'm like from ukraine so uh, <laughs> that's uh, now i remember how it was very fast learning curves so if you want to survive and then to get to understand logistics uh, in German in like three months, uh, that was the best experience you can get first in a fast immersion. But then I moved back to kind of more into the student development and I was uh, working in um, Iceland, then in uh, Rotterdam in the Netherlands, uh, then my student activities went uh, over and then I joined as a knowledge manager for associations in Brussels, where I worked in the area of corporate social responsibility. Uh, was uh, actually involved in the initiatives and it was like what uh, 15 20 years ago on responsible supply chain management so i was involved in the um uh, in the projects when this uh, when the corporate leaders who were thinking about like hp uh, greek company titan volkswagen danone they were uh, kind of setting up discussing how to clean up their supply chains, how to do supplies checks, uh, how to synchronize the um, databases so not to do overkill with the supplier checks, etc. So it was quite interesting to uh, kind of be involved in this uh, international networks in the development projects. And there was a a uh, number of them. So I worked for CSI Europe, Corporate Social Responsibility Europe, and then Academy of Business and Societies. It's been spin out of that with the major business schools. So, and for me, it was interesting experience because I was involved in the high level, high international agenda, European Commission, uh, multinational companies, top universities, business schools, uh, um, designing the programs, uh, how to, uh, so I was involved in design, setting up the program for funding uh, projects uh, for business schools and universities on um, business and society issues, what we call now impact investment, uh, ESG issues, environment, social government, uh, governance issues. Um, uh, But then I kind of felt that in a sense, I'm uh, slightly, I call it detached from reality. So it's very high out there. 
uh, you deal with policy making with the large right. enterprises. And I wanted something down to earth. And I decided, uh, why not to stop my Brussels career and go down to roots? And I moved back to Ukraine in 2008 and set up um, an agency, what later be- became. So at the beginning, I would say it's on the only on my third reincarnation, PPV Knowledge Networks became what we are and we're quite successful here. Uh, because I wanted to contribute to the development of Ukraine, but do it in a smart, sustainable way. So, um, and we and I set up the agency, which is actually uh, consult also large companies in setting up uh, uh, their CSR activities and how to run the develop. We've set up a number of development agencies, so literally setting up institutions. So it's institutional development across Ukraine. Uh, we run a very successful. Um, program of Nova Poshta. Nova Poshta is the largest and very successful logistics company in Ukraine. It's uh, one of our corporate successes. Uh, and the founders uh, invested um, into setting up kind of SME development, fast track uh, uh, educational program, which our agency helped to design. So program and roll uh, roll across the country. And now there are more than 1,000 uh, graduates, SMEs, so wow. small traders uh, uh, who, who are alumni there and we're happy that now they're running it themselves now but it's our design kind of roll out the whole it's called uh, uh, Nova Posta School of Business uh, kind of not the business school but school of business kind of to play in the words it's uh, eight module uh, programs which was uh, running across eight uh, cities uh, in Ukraine uh, we are also implementing projects funded by the European Commission USAID here and still doing that uh, supporting uh, either sectors for instance uh, creative industries, kind of fostering development, training, uh, providing funding, or we, for instance, introduce the uh, vouchers for SMEs as an instrument, policy instrument here in Ukraine, uh, which is kind of now being copy-pasted by different local authorities. So um, for me, it was background down to the roots in a sense. So I have, a, I would say, a reverse career, you know, normally. Yeah, people... full cir- you came back uh, full circle, right? Uh, you... Exactly. So I came through Brussels. So I was meeting the commissioners, you know, like uh, uh, maybe it's not for the podcast to tell the stories you know how like and then you I'm Ukrainian and people wouldn't even know where Ukraine is at that time and they were still telling that we're somewhere as Russia and of course it was all the rage coming rage coming that nowhere not Russia we're, we're different and then and now I'm uh, I feel myself in my place kind of I'm uh, where I belong uh, uh, I'm involved in uh, um, development of my country involved in the policy making so you work with MPs, with uh, uh, with ministers. I know personally our prime minister because he used to we used to work on projects here, um, and it feels very natural. Kind of that's where where I contribute. Right. That's where I am. Um, so and it, it, it well it and it it seems after listening to all your stories that uh that we're slowly slowly building up from your childhood to where you are now, and uh, I think now we know what connecting you procurement logistics supply chain of course this love that it seems that you'll have to helping uh the community and the 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 world so uh auntie i mean i think if uh, i think we're in the right spot now for you guys to introduce to us and our audience what uh procurement for pieces what what is these where where does it come from why people from so different backgrounds kind of coming together different countries and different experiences what's What's the deal? What happened? Maybe I'll, I'll pass the word to Sammele, who's kind of guilty party of... of Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I can tell the story from, from my point of view. And thanks, Antti, for the good pass. The striker always appreciates a good pass. It's easy to score. So I'll, I'll, I can tell at least the founding story from my point of view and then, then happy to let Volodymyr and elaborate. And also Antti can then perhaps explain what we nowadays do. But sort of from my perspective, so, so prior to the kind of war and, and prior to kind of procure for peace, I had absolutely no connections to Ukraine. So I don't have any, let's say, special connection or didn't have any special connection to Ukraine before the, the war started. But anyways, from my point of view, as for all Europeans, everybody globally, sort of when the when the Russia started the, the horrible attack uh, in the February, it was, of course, a great shock, sort of what what happened. And and then as a CEO of company, of course, the first first sort of question we had is that how do we internally as a company react to that? And then we went on and had a debate about that and decided to do an internal Slack post 
on Thursday morning already. Then we started the debate whether we should make an external statement that okay, we we support the the people of Ukraine and we we condemn this attack by Putin's administration. We had debate internally in see whether to do that or not. We did that that public sort of statement on Friday. Uh, then, based on that. Uh, a guy called Tim, who represents Ukrainians in Finland, sort of uh, thanked this moral support in LinkedIn, and then basically said, "If you really want to help, ping me, and let's see if you if you could be of help." And then I then I pinged this team and tried to figure out what would help the Ukrainians in Finland, for example, whether they would like to use our office space for for as a headquarters. That was that was not sort of uh, beneficial, but actually they they had a problem that that they had already collected different kind of goods that they'd like to ship to Ukraine, but they missed the logistics connection from Helsinki to Ukraine. And then I realized that with my connections in, let's say, procurement logistics world, perhaps I could sort of be of help there. And then I tested some of my connections over Saturday, kind of in publicly in LinkedIn, but also through direct messages. And the response was overwhelming. In, in less than six hours, I had more than a dozen different logistics providers active in Finland providing their support from, from the large multinationals all the way to kind of Guy and Van sort of set up saying, we'll take the goods from Helsinki to Ukraine. We are happy to help. Tell me when to pick up and, and how much. And, wow. we'll do that. and that was an aha moment for me in many ways. First of all, there's a lot of kind of debate about, let's say, the, the democratic society kind of not, not being functional anymore and hate speech and so forth. But now I very strongly felt that, hey, the democracy works and here we are as a society kind of pulling together to, to, to help Ukraine. And that was an aha moment. And there was also a moment, okay, it, it, it was pretty easy with my connections to kind of make that happen, which had been anyway a challenge for the Ukrainians in Finland who don't have, let's say, logistics supply chain connections. So so then I felt sort of for a short moment I felt, okay, that I was helpful. I made a positive impact. That's, that's nice. But then I realized that there must be, let's say, people in similar positions as myself in different countries and, and, and regions of, of Europe. So I, I basically copy pasted what I or described what I did to LinkedIn with the idea that other people could sort of copy this this playbook, if you may, and, and, and replicate the same activities in different regions and cohorts. Uh, but then what actually happened is 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 one of the we don't have Rohit here, but he's, he's a chief procurement officer in a UK-based company actually knows Volodymyr from the past. He saw my LinkedIn post and said, hey, he's been also trying to help the Ukraine in the in the in, in his own sort of to our own connections. And he saw what, what I had done and whether we should kind of get together and discuss how we can sort of scale things up. And and Rohit had one strong advantage to myself. He had a connections in, in Ukraine like Volodymyr with whom we are discussing here. And then basically what we realized, me, Rohit, and then Lance Younger, who's perhaps the third co-founder of, of Procure Pieces, that sort of, there's a lot of Europeans who want to help, but they have absolutely no clue what would be really helpful in Ukraine, because it's, when you've never been in war situations, so forth, it, 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 it can be difficult to understand what would be helpful. And also, it's easy to start using your energy on something which is not helpful, and perhaps even is, let's say, harmful for the situation. So we really felt we need to understand from the ground, what would be helpful. And also the one of the challenges was that at that point at least, we didn't know whether we should be trying to be helpful for the next five days, five weeks, five months, five years. What is the time horizon of the events? Now, now as we are recording this, this session, we are of course three months down the water and it's, it's, it's clear it will be there for, for quite a long time, but it was not that clear uh, from the early days. But then basically, if you fast forward to day number five, the next week, Tuesday, I believe, we launched Procure for Peace, which is basically a volunteer organization with the purpose of, let's say, connecting the Ukrainian people who have the needs, who actually have money nowadays through the donations, but who don't have, let's say, procurement capabilities at industrial scale. Connecting these Ukrainian people and organizations with European and US-based procurement logistics people who have all the connections, who know how to run sourcing or logistics in, in industrial scale and are willing to help, but basically have no idea what would be helpful in Ukraine. So Procurement for Peace is really kind of the platform where we try to kind of connect these two groups of people and, 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 and organizations as well to make a positive impact for, for Ukraine. Whew, that was the story. Uh, I can jump next then also to continue uh, what Sami was telling. Indeed, uh, uh, Rohit Sata, uh, my teammate from Rotterdam Times and uh, 
kind of a good friend of mine um, uh, who's now living in, in Germany, uh, he introduced me and said, uh, you know, there is this bunch of guys who are um, uh, setting up this procure for peace. Uh, how can we help? And, and he brought me on board. I'm despite working with kind of now, as I, uh, as I was telling, now I realize that there's more connection to procurement and supply chains that I thought before, because we do work with logistics companies and uh, I was involved in the responsible supply chain management. But then um, like uh, on a daily basis, I'm not in the procurement area. I'm not a CPO or a person dealing with supply chain, but uh, well, I do know of it uh, uh, very well. And uh, uh, friends of mine, they were all kind of in the day one, I think uh, I received, I don't know, um, thousands, probably hundreds, definitely messages from people whom uh, I met maybe 20 years ago, but everyone was so appalled by the by the Russian invasion, everyone outreached, it was uh, that the outpour of emotion and support was uh, overwhelming and we're very grateful for that but of course everyone uh, in Ukraine first of all we had to deal with our personal safety then employees and family and uh, uh, around you and then you you start kind of seeing what can I do I mean how can I be of help uh, I mean uh, obviously the economic development and the projects consulting that's not something that is going to continue during the war so everything stopped we understand that so I rearranged things that work and um, uh, there was a number of initiatives I got uh, involved myself on a volunteer basis as every Ukrainian uh, uh, does unless you're called uh, to the army like either you are being called or then you try to find yourself uh, where you can be uh, more of help, of use. Uh, uh, and I realized that, uh, sure, I mean, uh, I can be involved as uh, everyone here in uh, fundraising and in uh, shipping things and uh, people sh shipping stuff to Ukraine, but it's not scalable. It's not like, uh, with my knowledge, my background, maybe there's something else that uh, I can do. And that's why I uh, agreed uh, to Rocket's uh, offer the kind of to join and, and see how I can help. So uh, long story short, uh, I also outreach to people in Ukraine who are actually more knowledgeable uh, um, on procurement side. Uh, I uh, got in touch with the Kiev School of Economics uh, uh, Center of Excellence in Procurement. Uh, these are the, uh, the women, ladies who were involved in um, uh, uh, kind of training and developing procurement uh, managers across Ukraine. So it's a recognized center of excellence in that area. Uh, they are well, uh, very well connected to the procurement network in Ukraine, including the uh, defense ministry, uh, uh, including the large companies operating here in Ukraine, both multinationals and Ukrainian large companies. Plus, uh, um, uh, they were uh, and still are very involved in Prozoro, which is one of the successes of Ukraine. It's a public procurement system, which is kind of open-ended, uh, uh, where all public procurement goes through, and there are competing kind of platforms. So it's a single database uh, across the whole country, but then the operators of it, they're multiple, and they compete for um, kind of uh, people trading on the platform. So it's a, a post-Maidan, post-2014 uh, revolution success story, uh, which eliminated PT corruption, uh, this whole transparency system that was involved and um, uh, keeps well, it sounds it sounds like you call the cavalry. Is I mean, you you basically when they you found out about this, you called every single person you knew, all the organizations that you think could. Well, work I uh, I wouldn't say I called every, every single. I found those who know and well, then like, plug uh, them into plug them into yeah. procurement yeah, for they, peace. Uh, uh, brought our heavyweight, it was a Ukrainian uh, Zoya Chichulina, who is driving force who uh, has, uh, I think, 15 or 20 years of experience in Mondelez nice. here in Ukraine. She was a CPO there. Um, uh, uh, now she has her own. She's like an independent consultant on procurement, and she got involved in our lead uh, is Procure for Peace Ukraine. How, how many people did you have? So Sameli put you in touch, got, get, gets in touch with you. You start calling other people. Now there's not only one, there's not only two. It sounds like it's starting to create a movement. Perhaps, perhaps Antik, Antik can give yeah. a status check where we are right now and, and what yes. we're up to nowadays, I think. Yeah, so I, I joined about like maybe three, three, four weeks into the into the show. I know somebody from, from the past and I, I followed from the beginning kind of the, the Procure for Peace story starting to shape up. 
And um, yeah, now we are. So through, link, say, through LinkedIn, Auntie, or how did you? Through LinkedIn, yeah. It? Okay. Yeah. So when Sameli put it out there for people to know, you saw it yeah. and you reacted to it, and you're like, okay, I got it. Yeah. Pass. And and then Sameli and Lance and Rohit kind of posted a a, a job, uh, so they were looking for a volunteer uh, to to take kind of the sourcing activities and then start to lead lead it from from that point of view, and um, yeah, I. I I happened to have a bit quieter period, so I had had kind of possibility to put some other things aside and 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 jump on board. And I think it's great just to be doing something and not just worrying and 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 following up Twitter, and 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 seeing kind of news is is Kiev Kiev still you know standing. Um, so yeah, now we are we have a core team in Ukraine. Uh, so with Volody, we have. Uh, uh, Zoya, that that you mentioned already. We have Olga and Olena uh, from the Kiev School of Economics, and and then um, we have the the founding fathers uh, on on Europe side. Myself. Then we have Nas, um, our communications lead, and and then we have uh, the LinkedIn group uh, in in for procure for peace. And I think we have more than thousand people there currently wow. who have kind of informed. Well, joined the group, so they want to know what's going on. Uh, and 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 then we have let's say thirty to forty people both in Ukraine and then outside Ukraine who have kind of volunteered so informed that they they want to help uh, in in different different form or or so so yeah it's it's been coming up quite a movement movement lately. Uh, we also on the Ukrainian side we set up the Facebook group because it's interestingly enough in Ukraine like Facebook. Uh, plays a role of LinkedIn, kind of more professional uh, networking. It's bizarre, but that's how the, 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 the geography pick up different social media. And we had to be there. So uh, uh, it's also growing quite at, uh, at a pace. Uh, we found volunteers for different categories. We started uh, to find volunteers and uh, Olga and Olana, they, they ran kind of uh, the call for volunteers. And I think 30 plus uh, people from procurement community in Ukraine also volunteers said, hey, we want to support, like use us. Uh, and we set up a category manager for radios, uh, two-way radios, walkie-talkies. Kind of because that's what wow. people source and have issues. Um, uh, what else we uh, we had? Ah, and we also work with Cordura Fabric, you know, because it's a quite a demand. It was quite a adventure to actually try to find the um, suppliers of that because it seems that we uh, Ukrainians have uh, kind of. Um, what is uh, that? Body uh, uh, everything, you know, across. So it's the, the fabric for bulletproof vests ah, and, and medical kit pouches and, and this kind of heavy heavy duty fabric. Maureen, we go ahead, Maureen. I know you had. <laughs> we haven't no, let you talk in a while. Was more of it was more on like a higher, um, like a bigger picture level where you know when when this all started in February and you guys came together really quickly. It seems like in a week you were able to come together and start a program and an organization. How has the scope or reach changed? Obviously there's a lot more followers and people part of the group, but I don't know that everyone had any idea of where we would be three months later, like you said. So that the timeline keeps shifting, expectations shift. How has that affected kind of the day-to-day of your uh, well, that, 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 That's a great question because of course in the beginning it was a lot of energy in a very unstructured way so so yeah. positive chaos of right. course for an right. entrepreneur that almost feels like home but but, <laughs> but, but, but chaos. that's a good way to say it yeah i like but, that but, but, but then at the same time it, it, it quickly became became clear it's 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 not scalable like that and if, if but also kind of my well initially there was a lot of people who sort of raised their hand and said i want to help and there's a lot of kind of this willingness to help but then pretty quickly we realized that trying to have to get some some leverage from thousand people who are very willing to help but who can have one or two hours per week is not going to be a scalable way because you use more time for coordinating than you get benefits out. So so then we sort of stated, okay, we want to have at one hand side this sort of core volunteer organization who then now let's say full-time or close to full-time, let's say, people who can really kind of keep the keep the ship in the, the shape. Then also we realized that instead or or in addition to, let's say, leveraging a lot of, let's say, individuals, let's let's try to kind of connect for some of the large organizations who have consulting and procurement expertise 
be it GP or Vero or, or Scout B, who can provide tools and resources to help the cause. So instead of going to thousand people and try to get one hour, go to a large organization, try to get 10 people full time. And I think that has helped us to kind of uh, make a positive impact. At the same time, we are still figuring out how could, how could we also leverage the kind of the, the strengths of the community because there's a capable people in the community. But but really it's 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 less of that positive chaos right now and and a bit more structure as such. And it, it's, it's evolved over time. Of course we still don't know what is the end game going to be because now it's let's say very much focused on Ukraine and there's purposeful work to be done right now. So we don't even worry about that. But uh, what is the end game really for these organizations? Something that we've sort of crossed my, our minds, but it's it's not solved yet. And no need to solve it right now. So, uh, and what are the current needs? Because uh, as you say, the goal is unfortunately nowhere near this horrible atrocity that Putin and Putin's administration has put on to Ukraine, but also the world. Like uh, there's outrage out there. There's positive chaos, as you put it. There's a lot of energy. A lot of people want to help. Uh, and we see it uh, on a day-to-day basis, which is uplifting and inspiring, really. But what's the need? What what does peace uh, procure for peace need right now? Um, what's the main thing that you guys are seeking out to do, or what's the next kind of objective? I think we've been uh, there's there's kind of different phases, and there's some studies about kind of crises and and different kind of needs in in crisis that 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 they are, and and we've been very much focusing on those kind of first level things and and you know medical kits uh blades for bulletproof vests we've we've had some needs around food uh so so things that that you know country in a war need and 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 people in war need um uh, we've we've helped some ngos helping refugees there's been millions of refugees leaving leaving ukraine so there's been some some specific needs around food and and hygiene products for for refugees uh and and i think that that those those needs are still there but i think we're starting to kind of evolve and 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 whether and when we are going to go will go to the next phase and what the needs will be there uh is is probably a bit of a question mark we just talk about it with with volody on on friday um but i i think we're we kind of we still have needs coming up on on those kind of you know first categories that we've been supporting with um but but we're starting to see kind of maybe we are in a, in a little bit more quieter phase and and then new stuff most likely will start picking up um when the kind of rebuilding activities will start and 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 so on different companies will start to realize like like Volody said you know three months now in the war we've started to see kind of economic activity picking up well you know many of the supply chains are not there anymore maybe we need to see start supporting companies to restart their business maybe they need to transform to a new business and they need new kind of supply chains so um yeah i, I think we we still don't know like what the end game will be and 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 now we are more on the kind of you know we help uh we listen we learn and 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 react and and kind of based on based on what we learn and where we can add most value i think i might add actually what uh, concretely we've done uh, and where the um, kind of our contribution was because we we're also discussing kind of how can we help because we were, as soon as we announced that we're more about uh, uh, we are in the area of procurements helping to find actual suppliers uh, of course you get overwhelmed by this uh, request that i need two bulletproof vests or whatever so it's a small scale which obviously you you can't manage that so we were talking about um scale and then uh, we found this uh, um i would say rather successful uh, formula whereby we used our um, contributors to whom we are grateful uh, uh, beroya uh, uh, scout b yeah. who would uh, help us to identify suppliers and we would make publicly available the lists of verified uh, suppliers with stock available let's say of the armor plates or the uh, first medical uh, kits suppliers and um, we were tracking there were uh, 
700 plus views on those uh, lists. So when people would outreach and contact, we would also put the standards uh, publicly available on our Facebook page. Uh, so uh, essentially, we were helping the kind of put this information plumbing in a sense. So where could I find whom? Uh, how how do I ask? Uh, what, what I'm looking for? What are the standards? Uh, especially a lot of these volunteer procurement offices. So how you call it? Uh, it's like um, uh, do it yourself procurement, which uh, emerged at massive sc massive scale in Ukraine. We uh, try to um, also outreach to large charities in Ukraine who fundraised. Uh, larger amounts and who were doing procurement uh, uh, and understood that they eventually they found themselves the way to uh, we were not able there to help them because they identified their own procurement officers uh, uh, but nevertheless we know the larger funds and we know the people who are kind of now procuring for Ukraine and what we've done uh, that's what uh, Olga Olena were doing and still doing uh, we also plugged uh, this database of suppliers that we sourced into the Prozoro data database because uh, one of the maybe one of the messages which uh, um, uh, which might come from this uh, podcast is uh, this this recording is that uh, uh, in fact there is this database of prozoro uh, suppliers uh, which ukrainian uh, both government and uh, private sector uh, companies are using to kind of uh, get suppliers and international companies uh, could and should be there too in order to actually be noticed and uh, so that people actually get to know about them because uh, uh, the world is huge and if you need something a category right. and you are in Ukraine it's kind of tricky either you go googling or do you do what yeah. you know? so no uh, we, we would love to help with that uh bloody if you send us uh, a list of some of the links to the th companies that you think need to be mentioned and need to be uh, get more awareness, please just send us an email uh, and we'll include it uh, as part of the notes of this uh, podcast. So that you're absolutely right. That's very, very powerful and something practical enough that we could do. We'll just put all the links to all those different amazing companies that also need support. So yeah, good, good point. Good I think point. another, another kind of call to action could be that, um, like I said, we, we have a guess what the future needs will be, but we, we don't know what they exactly will be and when they will be. Um, but we know that if we have people who have expertise on a certain category and supply chain of a certain category, we will be a lot faster than to right. act on the need. So, so what we have, we have on the LinkedIn page, we have a kind of a survey form. Uh, where you can fill in that, you know, I'm willing to help and, and, and you know, I, I have expertise on these categories. So, so that's, that's kind of a, a future database for us then, you know, if we need concrete or, or you know, specific steel products or, or whatever it might be, you know, if we have people who, who know that supply chain in and out and know who to contact, that, that we're going to be a lot faster than to, to act on, on the needs. So that's, that would be a great, so take, take the survey, right? And, and we have to promote that as well. And we'll include it. We'll, uh, we'll share a link to the yeah. survey as well. And, and you're right. That's a, that's a great way of uh, very easily filtering out some of the resources that you're getting. Because uh, as I said, everyone wants to help. But sometimes, I mean, just wanting to help might make things even more chaotic as opposed to um, making things better. So good point. Uh, actually, I can do some, uh, uh, maybe share some observation, practical observation, because the Procure for Peace activities also kind of opened for me the other, like the back door, you know, to Ukrainian businesses as well, because uh, uh, Ukraine uh, has a lot of small enterprises, companies who transformed their business models immediately. Let's say the steel producers would shift to the armor, plate steel, if they could, by uh, considering technical uh, issues then a lot of sewing companies or brands started to um, make things for um, clothing um, or their vests etc for the front lines uh, uh, and it was very rapid but then they uh, immediately they were stuck with for instance what we just discussed uh, earlier about the lack of the fabric you know because it was and wiped out across whole of eastern europe first i mean poland is nearby and uh, uh, kind of amazing support from them uh, but we also amazingly you know like uh, uh, bought everything they 
had there for these categories which I need now in Ukraine. Uh, and then you start this issue, okay, we can produce. And of course, as a Ukrainian, I would uh, kind of steer towards jobs here in Ukraine so that we can produce and buy here in Ukraine for Ukrainian needs. Uh, it's also needed uh, for employment, for taxes, etc. Yeah. But then our companies, even those who are produce the final products, they are being faced with the supplier issue or kind of, uh, how you call it, dis- distorted uh, supply chain situations. That's where initiatives such as Procure for Peace uh, is helping, is coming to help. So this this kind of information support, I would say, plumbing, right? So, um, uh, and that's where we need to know whom to outreach. As Auntie was mentioning, know the category specialists who can actually pinpoint, uh, because it's actually challenging. It's not that easy to find uh, right. suppliers of certain categories in time of great demand and with availability. And uh, an um, possibility to actually deliver to Ukrainian uh, border. And, and it's urgent too, right? I mean, you need them from a procurement standpoint, from a shipping standpoint. It's like, hey, we need them now, right? We get yesterday, uh, yesterday yeah. right? So um, so you're absolutely right. Maureen? Um, I was actually just curious as you were talking about, I know it's a little bit off topic, but for some of those things with the, the vests and the armor and things like that, have that have those been accessible for civilian use or is it more that the military is looking for additional resources uh, with that? Uh, there are, I know in the uh, States it's harder to get that like as a group, but the military has it. So in the situation with Ukraine, there's so many levels of people part of the protecting, trying to protect the, the country there. Has it- uh, 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 you see, that's a uh, multi-dimensional question, I would say. So yeah. on one hand, there is a, a military forces procurement, obviously, and there is a great help from the Western com- countries uh, supporting. And these are their own separate channels, which we do not get involved. Uh, uh, but then also uh, we need to remember that uh, Ukraine, uh, well, it was an invasion. So there is an army, but then there is the territorial defense forces, which are part of the army, but which was set up just in January. So it means that in terms of procurement and in terms of equipment and the personal protective equipment, uh, uh, they're not much. Yeah, Let's put that right. way. The, the weapon is there, but then uh, it's up to volunteers to actually to equip. Uh, and it is 100,000 people um, like in one month, you know, that you suddenly need all of that. Uh, plus people who go in then to the front line, then they figure out that they also would like to have these drones and then they would like to have this walkie-talkies and it would be great. And Ukrainians are inventive in what we need and how we can fight. In this sense, it's our kind of forte. And then their demands are coming. And then you have other different various countries and regulations where somewhere it's, uh, uh, let's say, uh, rather prohibitive and restrictive, let's say in Germany, that you would need to have a kind of quasi-license in order to buy that. But in other countries, it's kind of uh, available for the civilian use. So you need to kind of navigate that. Uh, navigate that. Uh, so uh, let's say in armor plates, we were, it's just armor plates. It's not the uh, final good. So what we, uh, the, the supply is available and you can uh, source them from uh, European countries to Ukraine. Uh, so that was was also part of the check and part of the kind of uh, the whole research, you know, how right. where can you source, what quantities you can source, uh, with the procedures there. Right. So, yeah, because I wasn't sure too if the the shippers or the suppliers had restrictions on who they could sell to, which then created a little bit of a challenge for. There's obviously a need, and there's some resources or supply here, but. I didn't know what other hurdles there were. Um, and you mentioned some. it's hard in some countries to procure that because of the rules. But on the other side, I didn't know if all the manufacturing facilities had the freedom to, to sell to who they wanted to um, and to open up that commerce to those who need it in Ukraine. Well, thank you. Thank you once again. Uh, I mean, we could we could talk uh, about this topic and about your organization for a couple of hours, but... Uh, but uh, first and foremost, again, it's uh, it's very interesting and it's very inspiring to kind of learn and talk to people like yourselves, entrepreneurs, all with your own careers, your own paths coming together to face uh, something so 
horrible uh, trying to help um, other people in need. So Procure for Peace, kind of uh, the story, went from a movement to a very cool organization. And I'm sure you guys, now that you did this in Ukraine, will probably have to continue, hopefully, uh, for, for many more years. It's a great idea. Um, it's great to see that you guys all came together. It's great to see that people are supporting you. How can uh, our audience uh, connect with you? How, what's the best way to contact you, uh, Samali and, and the team? Uh, I think when it comes to Procure for Peace, I think the, the, the first recommendation is the Procure for Peace LinkedIn group. So Procure number four Peace LinkedIn group. And if you join that group, then you kind of will be informed about the different ways you can help. And definitely the, the survey that Antti mentioned is, is, is good one step. So I think that if you if you are willing to, to join the movement, that would be my advice. On a more personal level, if you want to understand something more about reindeer farming and striker <laughs> on, on, on soccer, I'm, I'm available on LinkedIn as well. So it's a true type of connection. You'll have to start a separate group for that. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of uh, a I lot will of join listeners. it. I want to yeah. know about it. A lot of <laughs> listeners will join that group too. But no, thank you once again. Um, it's been an, an incredible conversation with you, kind of with our full support. Once again, uh, if you're listening to this episode and did podcast and you like uh, conversations like the ones we had today, please don't forget to subscribe to Supply Chain uh, Supply Chain Now Logistics with Purpose. Uh, this was another good episode. Enrique Alvarez, Marine, any kind of parting words from your end? No, I think we covered quite, quite a variety of topics today. So I think it was a wonderful way to start the week. And thank you for all of you joining us, especially different time zones, continents. I'm in the middle of your busy day. Thank you, everyone. Have a good day. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Bye. Bye. Bye.